And we don't oftentimes recognize the toll of what it is like to be the only. This belief that we are better because we are a diverse institution. Equity and inclusion, that's the harder work. That with Maslow's hierarchy, that's the higher order thinking. That's a verb. This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders. I'm Jacob Bray. On today's episode of In the Know, ACCT Assessment Specialist Semhar Abed, Director of Educational Services Colleen Allen, and Director of Communications David Connor interview Darian Pollard, President of Montgomery College in Maryland. Community colleges tend to be exceptionally diverse places. This diversity has tremendous value, but it also means that trustees and presidents need to be aware of the wide variety of challenges that students and prospective students face. This conversation focuses on diversity, inclusion, and equity. Let's start with diversity, equity, and inclusion, and what that looks like in a college campus. I think for me, when you think about it on a college campus, it's really trying to understand uh, the lived experiences of students. So for us, you think about diversity clearly being understanding the, the, the wealth of experiences uh, that people bring into the spaces that you're in. Uh, those differences could be around gender, race, ethnicity, sexuality, ability, all of those things, as well as uh, different political views on the spectrum, understanding how all of those things show up in a college environment. I think equity then is trying to ensure that at some point those diverse experiences uh, are able to show up within the organization equally. And that as an organization, we value all of those things equally as well. And then when you think about inclusion, I think is, is the verb of this. It is the inclusive, intentional action of crafting equitable experiences based on the diversity of the folks who are in that space. Uh, oftentimes, you could think about that in terms of students, obviously within a college campus, but where we also try to focus on as we think about that as it relates to employees as well. So I think the idea is that we see a lot of these terms being used interchangeably, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, in the most simplest way, I think about diversity is, is counting who's in the room. Mm -hmm. uh, equity is ensuring that there is uh, a respect for the experiences of everyone in the room. Mm -hmm. And then inclusion is trying to make sure that all experiences are somehow captured in the broader narrative of the organization. I just wondered, so you're at Montgomery College, which is a very diverse community, a diverse campus. Um, what if, I thought, you know, after a decade here as president, we like just took a forklift and moved you over to um, a college, say, in Iowa, um, and said, okay, you're president here now, uh, in, you know, in the context of diversity, equity, and inclusion. What does that mean? What, what could translate from such a... Um, a richly diverse community to another community that may not be diverse or not diverse in the same ways. Um, and the reason we talk about this is we're a national association that represents colleges throughout the country. And sometimes when conversations come up, particularly about diversity, um, you know, occasionally uh, board members, for example, might say, well, we're not a very diverse community. So. So um, that's the challenge to you. How, how can that sort of thing translate? 
Well, it's interesting you use the references that you did because I don't know if you read my bio enough, but I, that is actually my lived experience. I uh, grew up in Chicago, born and raised on the South Side, where my community was primarily a monolith of black folks who are working to poor, uh, primarily raised in a black Baptist church, and we all lived in a community that was very much um, looked like people to the left of us, and we saw people who looked like this to the right of us. And then I chose, for some reason, which I still explore from time to time, uh, to attend Iowa State University and uh, was transported to Ames, Iowa. And I remember first coming to Iowa State and thinking um, it was not the fact for me that I was a black stepping into a campus that was intentionally trying to be more inclusive. They went and recruited all of these black and brown kids from across the country and brought us there. It was, for me, it was more the rural and urban divide because I'd grown up in Chicago and I'm driving through Iowa and thinking, who is eating all this corn? Because in my family, we don't eat corn. And it was literally, I was an RA my second year until somebody explained to me, well, you know animals eat corn. This is not, this is feed corn, not people corn. And I thought, oh, no, I didn't know that. So it, it was the rural divide that was very different for me uh, stepping into that. And then when you then compound that with the rural and urban divide with the black and brown and the white divide and the uh, coming into an environment where uh, the experiences of women you know this is the mid to early mid to well, I guess late 80s early 90s you know we were just starting to have substantive conversations I think as a college undergraduate about the experiences of women uh, certainly for me as a lesbian trying to figure out what that was like as well so I think that for me that that is my lived experience and I think that um, we oftentimes get caught up in the fact of counting who's in the room right um, I am not of the opinion that that's where one should start. You certainly want to provide opportunities for historically underrepresented populations in your community. But I think diversity and, and equity and inclusion really is also the intentional part of understanding culture, to understand how this environment creates an environment where people feel valued, where their identity is welcomed, and we try to carve a space within the organization and within our community. Our greatest grab, uh, tr uh, struggle when I moved to Iowa um, was, and I actually got to serve on, I think, the President's Advisory Committee on Diversity at some point, and it got to be a point within the college community that we didn't even want to say the D word, the diversity word, because people were just overdone with it. And one of the things that we kind of had to talk about is how do we really really co-opt that term back again in a way to value it, but for us, how to work with the broader community in Ames, Iowa, so that they could understand that I would, should be able to walk into a store while we were only 8% of the student body, I should be able to find stockings that match my skin tone. I could find hair products to, to uh, take care of myself, the same with makeup or whatever the case may be, that perhaps I want to see as a part of the ethnic restaurants that came there, a support for soul food restaurant from uh, that allowed me to reconnect with my community as well. But the greater issue, and I think this is the one where those of us who have high representations of diverse populations are not, is how you help people come to value the fact that difference is not bad, that difference is a good thing, and it allows us to be better when we take your part of who you are with my part of who I am, and then we work together to solve complex problems or just to value individuality, uh, to, to understand that your lived experience is radically different than mine and there's no one that's better or worse. It's just simply that I extend to you 
human kindness and that I value that. And at the same time, I ask that, and I'm constantly learning about who you are and who I am as well. So if I were to be transported uh, mm -hmm. into Iowa mm -hmm. to be a president there, uh, I would take a lot of time to deeply know the community, mm -hmm. uh, the big macro community as well as all the micro communities that oftentimes people don't talk about. Uh, I'd spend time understanding our socioeconomic issues uh, because that is one of the greatest barriers right now in terms of inclusion and equity. Who gets marked in and who gets marked out simply because they can afford to be there. Uh, I would spend time understanding language and language acquisition. Uh, do we have communities that have been our, our community refugees? We're seeing that happen quite a bit in a lot of uh, rural communities and no one is thinking about or effectively talking about how do we bring someone into this community? What experience do we want them to have while they're there? And also how do we as members who are already established in that community spend time to understand how we can prepare more effectively and responsively. So um, maybe at some point in my career I'd welcome that opportunity. Uh, but I do love being where I am now, where we were ranked by the Chronicle of Higher Education as the most diverse community college in the continental United States. So as, as you're talking about that, um, I'm wondering, given that you work with a board of trustees, how do you bring the board in as president, as, as, as your partners, in making these things happen and getting to know the community and then applying that throughout on behalf of the students, but also the employees of the college? So I, I, I'm profoundly privileged to work for a board that I think gets this on a, on a, on a visceral level. And um, interestingly enough, uh, when I was hired, and I still believe this, that I was selected to be their partner because they are the ones who are actually advancing and being very progressive around the issues that are, are uh, needing to be addressed in our community. So this board was bold and they took action uh, around uh, undocumented students and dreamers before it was trendy or popular to do it. They lived their truth. Uh, we live in a community that was intentional to say, let's hire a president who is going to bring a different lived experience into this space and then encourage her to be all of who she is in this space. Darian, how are we looking at uh, the lived experiences of our students? So let's talk about completion, but let's disaggregate that by race, by class, by gender, and all the different ways that we need to understand our students. So what I think is interesting is that uh, I had the opportunity to rise up to meet my board, and that's what I think any president wants to have happen. You want a board who is taking leadership in this space, understands their role though. So their role is to set policy. They know they have one employee, but they're also driving community conversations. So my board is very active within the community. They take pride in advancing and advocating for the institution. Uh, where boards really, I think, are most beneficial is asking difficult questions, uh, forcing their CEO uh, to respond to those questions based on adequate research and background and knowledge. They create accountability measures to understand, let's look at this over time and to see if things happen effectively. Uh, they support you when you mess up, right? Or when you recognize in a community we're not doing this well enough and they're in that constant place of saying, well, here are resources that we are aware of. The other thing that I think is profound, and this is why I, I love the board that I, I work for, they're in a constant state of growth themselves. So they never stop and say, okay, because we are in Montgomery County, one of the most 
diverse communities in the country and because we are, uh, these are the experiences that we have and the knowledge and all the things we know, they never stop. So I think that's what board members should be doing. How do we continue and to think about our evolution and it, with their president, how are we doing that together? So um, I, I think that uh, when you have a very good board who's willing to be uncomfortable um, to do what John Lewis calls uh, have a little good trouble every once in a while, uh, to have raw courage, uh, to stand in your own space and know you're there when moments of uh, struggle come about you. I think those are the types of boards that will truly help transform the experiences of our students and employees. Hey everyone, I want to take a quick break to remind you all that the 50th annual ACCT Leadership Congress is coming up and we're looking for innovative presentations from ACCT member colleges and affiliates. Check out congress.acct.org for our call for presentations, registration, to find out about sponsorship opportunities and more. And now, back to the show. Uh, legacy admissions, which is you know, as selective and discriminatory, frankly, as, as any institution could be, um, going to open access institutions. I mean, I think it's been incredible. I, I was following along with the, um, the headlines when that story was very big for that weekend, and it was incredible to me. I made a comment on Twitter under my personal account um, <laughs> about my having attended Northern Virginia Community College and it was amazing. It catalyzed all of these on Twitter, this is amazing, positive responses from people saying community colleges are the best thing. And I'm not saying that because I work for ACCT. <laughs> there were dozens of people who it sort of um, just snowballed into people saying, I'm sending my kids, this is where to go. You know, um, other universities are a ripoff, which, you know, I don't necessarily agree with that in all cases. But um, I think it's amazing because it seems like the consciousness is shifting to really respect the community college mission. I do think that there is a, a changing uh, discussion that's occurring about a community college. I think it's happening for a couple of reasons. One is that the cost of higher education has just come become too cost prohibitive for many families. So the idea of spending thousands of dollars uh, to get into an institution, oftentimes incurring significant amount of debt uh, that you will carry well into adulthood, if not beyond, and understanding what debt then does for a family. A young person, traditionally a student who graduates with you know, tens of thousands of dollars of debt and trying to get a home, buy a car, understanding that, that can impact their future job prospects. For a lot of families, I think um, this Generation Z that we're in, they're smarter. Um, they're thinking, how can I not un incur that debt? I'm going to get a high-quality education that's relevant, uh, that's close to home, and all the types of things that we know about what happens in most community colleges in this country, they, they see that. Um, I, so I think that's one reason why it's happening. Secondly, I think we've had uh, several initiatives at the federal level and certainly probably each many states as well that recognize the potency of a community college education. So whether it be, and, and each, each 
uh, political party emphasizes different parts of our mission. Uh, when Democrats are in, in, the, in the House, uh, White House, they emphasize access. When Republicans are there, they emphasize our workforce development nature. And what we're smart at doing is we know how to speak to both of them. <laughs> so we do that, and we've had some fairly high-profile recognition of our work uh, under uh, multiple administrations. So I think that's an important thing that's happening. I think the third thing that's happening, and which I think is uh, kind of interesting, I think community colleges are not embracing uh, this stigma anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I tell people, and I, I, I have the pleasure now of stepping uh, soon into my 10th year as president here. Um, I don't know when that happened, but I have no, my attitude has changed. If you think that attending a community college is a last choice, if you think that attending Montgomery College is somehow second step or, you know, whatever the case may be, I say shame on you. That's your issue. That's your ignorance. That's not mine. And I'm not going to carry that. What I can tell you is that this is a transformational institution that serves 55,000 students a year. I can tell you that we have students who come from 160 countries, that we are gloriously diverse. I can tell you about I've had nine Maryland professors of the year, not community college professors of the year, but Maryland professors of the year who come from this organization. Organization. I have programs of study that lead to phenomenal careers right after completion here or our students transfer to almost every state in this country. I can tell you that my students transfer to our state schools and our regional institutions. I can tell you that they're being employed by uh, some of the largest companies in Montgomery County. I can also tell you that my students are transferring to Ivy League institutions after their experiences here. So. That's your issue. Mm -hmm. And I shake the haters off because I don't believe that's not something that we need to carry around. And the minute we stop valuing ourselves and devaluing the experiences that we bring to our students, that, that, that is where the moment will change. And I believe that. So let's stop that. And one of our colleagues has started this uh, movement about in the community college stigma. I, I, I completely agree. Just because I was smart enough, and oh, let me rephrase that. Just because Darian wasn't smart enough to start at a community college and therefore is still paying Uncle Sam back for <laughs> loans that she had as an undergraduate and a graduate student, shame on me. Shame on me for not knowing better. But you know what? I have a little boy, and we have a serious conversation. So he knows, after I go to Montgomery College, then I'll do this. I said, yes, unless you've got a scholarship going someplace else, you will start your career at Montgomery College if I'm still here. You know what's interesting, just really quickly, is um, you were, my interpretation of what you were saying earlier was that um, diversity, equity, inclusion are all, they're basically all based in respect, mm -hmm. not about the numbers. Mm -hmm. Understanding people's experiences, respecting them, who people are. And uh, I hope this doesn't sound corny or anything, but what you're saying makes me think that really it's like time for equity for community colleges within higher education overall. People are getting it now. And, and I think it's interesting you said shame on me for not getting it because certainly um, I have had that experience with respect to seeing, for example, police videos um, and other things that have enlightened me about things I was um, naive to. I, I didn't know that, that experiences were that vastly different in this yeah. country. Yeah. So I think maybe there's an equilibrium being reached where um, we're just becoming I, I don't more socially equitable. We were talking I hope. this morning too, just about what we're uh, our assumptions. You know, mm -hmm. 
living in, in the Washington, D.C. area, we have certain assumptions you know, about what we think everyone else in the world believes. And, and you, you pointed out you know, that, that 75% doesn't surprise you. I, I'm thinking about a, a, a personal story Semhar told us yesterday, though, about her choice in college was, if you want to explain that. Yeah, sure. Um, so I personally purposefully um, attended George Mason University because of the diversity. Um, before that, when applying, there's all these schools I went to, I saw, but looking at it, you could see I was not represented there. So for me, it was a given that's where I was going. I saw people like me, and even people that don't identify as the same person as I am, it was, I would say it's a breath of fresh air seeing another other in a room. So that's why I chose it. The difference between the two of you, though, you choosing this all-white yeah. school in a not just racially different, but your point about the rural versus mm -hmm. urban, and you know, and to some extent, there's a little bit difference in age between you two. I mean, right. not significantly, but <laughs> yes, I'm forever 29. <laughs> but and also, um, in my defense, a little. Um, I went to a high school that was predominantly white, and I already mm. have felt being in a room that I wasn't respected, or I felt like that maybe it was just an internal thing, but. I didn't see people around the table like me, or even t teachers around, mm -hmm. you know, in the school. So for me, I was like, I need to go somewhere that I could see myself in whatever form. And I think that's something that institutions can really work at um, when they're doing their hiring. And that you raise a really important point that even if you are, going back to uh, David's question earlier, are in a place where uh, there is uh, not a lack of diversity as it relates to race and ethnicity. Um, how do you as an institution intentionally, though, try to create uh, an environment where people feel valued and welcomed, uh, where you can possibly hire in such a way that will allow some representation and allow your students to have uh, the opportunity to interact and, and exchange ideas and to learn from people who may not be anything that they have seen or heard from before, but now they're having those unique opportunities to do that. That, that, that's, that requires some intentionality. Uh, it requires growth as an organization because you also don't want to bring somebody into an environment where you set them up for failure and then you wonder why they're gone in another year mm -hmm. because they had an inhospitable experience while they were there, uh, both in terms of the institution and also the community they lived in. So I love, and, and part of what you did, and I, I want to validate it, it is about self-care. And we don't oftentimes recognize the toll of what it is like to be the only mm -hmm. of anything. Mm -hmm. The only woman, the only mm -hmm. person of color, the only uh, person who is living with a disability, the only gay or lesbian person. I mean, you name it. The yeah. only, And that is an emotional toll that you have to carry around all the time. And at some point, you just get tired of it. Right. So I, 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 this idea, you said, hey, mm -hmm. I, I, I've been. I've done, done this yeah, for right. high school. I've lived this. Right. And right now, I want to go in a place where I don't have to be the only one because I don't have to carry that around. Audre Lorde, uh, I, love her, I loved her as a poet, she mm -hmm. had this wonderful essay where she often used the phrase that, why is it always uh, the people who have be, been dehumanized um, are always in the process of having to explain their humanity to other people? 
And that idea, then, because being the only means you have to go into some place and you're all, it's my, my wife always says, she said, oh, did you out me today? Because we're always in the process, because you're always having to come out over and over. The minute I say, oh, here's my, where's your husband? Well, I don't have a husband, I have a wife and this, right? So it's, like, it's a perfect, and it's exhausting. So I, I think when we can talk about really this work of equity and inclusion and diversity is also getting to a point where it shouldn't have to be exhausting for folks who are the only of anything to be in those spaces and have to explain their humanity over and over and over and again in a way that you realize, you know what, it's, it's self corrosive after a while and I have to preserve my spirit. Right, and I think besides just the recruiting of people that look like others, it's also this, I think that it needs to be like a change of policy or this mass training you have amongst faculty, uh, amongst professors or whatnot, because if you're going to recruit these, you know, black and brown kids to come to this school and the person up there or the person processing their financial aid or whatever it might be cannot see themselves in this person, it's still... Like, you didn't take that step still. Right, and, right. and didn't believe in their potential or their right. success. So, I mean, that idea, and that's why. So at Montgomery College, you know, oftentimes people say, oh, you're, you're so diverse. Mm-hmm. You know, you, and, and I always tell people, we are gloriously diverse, but d- diversity doesn't, d- you don't get to stop there. Right. You don't get to just simply say because we have, we count the table, the chairs around the table, and now we've got two of you, two of you, two of you, and we've got the Noah's Ark version going on here, that somehow or another we've created the next nirvana. I think you delude yourself when you do that because you're not talking about the lived experiences. So for us at Montgomery College, uh, we've really t- taken this work around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And our board uh, several years ago moved to a direction of actually embracing an idea that I coined of radical inclusion. This idea that as an organization that we are intentional and proactive in our policies, our procedures, our practices, and our promises uh, to ensure equitable outcomes for students and for our employees. So the board then is taking us on about its policies. How do we start to think about the ways in which we craft equitable and inclusive experiences? And then they charge me as their employee to make sure that the policies do this, I mean that the procedures do it, but then that we also have practices and that our promises to our community are reflective of that. And don't get me wrong, there are a lot of things that we do very well, but we also recognize there's a lot of growth in this space and how do we do that? Uh, So we hired a chief equity and inclusion officer uh, about a year ago, year and a half ago, and her work is to really do that education that you talked about. It's that one-on-one, it's that group. Um, It's to help us start thinking about a framework for the conversation. A lot of that for us has been around civility, Um, how to treat other people the way you want to be treated, to make promises and guarantees about the way we're going to interact with each other. That has been very intentional. But for us, it has been a broader perspective, well, about looking about some eight key points. And I won't uh, go through all of them because of the time, but I will say we want to look at data. Uh, How do we unpack and utilize data and disaggregate it by race, by ethnicity, uh, by ability, uh, particularly also around socioeconomic status? Uh, We look at organizational and professional development. How are we providing pathways throughout the organization? So for instance, I had a, uh, our staff union came to me and said, Darian, if you really want to have a conversation about equity and inclusion, we should be talking about the lowest paid employees of our organization who don't have agency and the ability to move up through the organization because they don't have access to education and most of them are working third shift 
here at the college and then they're leaving and they're going to work another job after that. So why don't we talk about providing GED and ESL classes on third shift? So we're doing that now. And the board said, make it happen. But then also to adopt career ladders so that someone may start in one spot but move to a different one later. Uh, how do we engage our community? in these spaces and have very direct conversations. Our board, as I said, was actively engaged around conversations of undocumented students and dreamers, but they also have been engaged in creating community engagement centers. So I brought them this idea. We have so many people who come to this community that even as an open access accessible institution, the idea of going to college, even a community college, isn't something that they see themselves doing. So we've been intentional in working to do that. Uh, student voices, how do we bring students into every part of our conversations and decisions as an organization? And my board is exceptional at that. They ask the questions, what do the students uh, think about this? How do you know the students feel that way? Uh, how are we engaging them? So that's been very important for us. And also we do it a lot through our communications and social media. Uh, we have to be very thoughtful about our statements we take, opt-eds that we take, and take positions on issues. I recently had a uh, opt-ed, uh, uh, published um, uh, inside higher ed on a the rights of transgender students and what that means for our students in different spaces. Um, and the board was like, make it happen. Let's have those conversations. Spaces on campus, ensuring that we have uh, bathrooms that students can use that are gender neutral. Uh, we have welcome centers, recognizing that poverty is real. Our students are hungry. Uh, so how do we also mobilize and bring food to them in spaces that are necessary? Uh, how do we look at uh, um, nursing spaces for nursing mothers? That was a huge space. How do we look at meditation spaces uh, for people who have different religious practices so this to me and and the last one has been around partnerships uh, I am so sick of saying every, I walk in the community everybody says they're my partner <laughs> oh, we partner with the college we partner and I started saying you know what does that mean I bought a table at your chicken dinner and then you bought a table I bought one at your chicken dinner table and then all of a sudden we're like partners or what did we really do as a result of those partnerships so the outcomes become important and that's the work of boards so what I find important is that the boards always have to, I believe, lead us to higher callings around this work. Uh, when I taught writing uh, for many years, and students would do the research paper in Comp 1, right? And they all would come in and want to do the research paper on the what. What is this? When did this happen? And I'd always say good research is about the how and why question. So I want you to understand a phenomenon. I want you to understand how something occurred or why it occurred. That, I think, is where boards become essential. My boards, when we talk about issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion, or the way we talk about it, radical inclusion, they're asking me the how and why questions. They're asking the organization, how do you understand this data? Why do you think this is happening? And that, to me, is a higher order of thinking. It's not just the simply saying, what is the percentage of students who do this? Um, how many students do that? That's not really the question. They're trying to understand the phenomenon and more importantly then make decisions and policy around that. When, when you're making these changes uh, to change the culture of a college, particularly changing a culture, if it isn't already established, if it's not easy, yeah. how do you um, gauge the success in, in a number of different ways? So if you're looking at um, demographic data. That's pretty straightforward. But if you're changing a culture, 
within the campus. How what what are some ways that that boards um, working with their presidents can become aware over time that things are changing in the right direction? Well, I think part of what you have to do is have some mechanism to uh, constantly learn if where that is happening and get that feedback. So you can bring in people who can help you do needs assessment, uh, who can do culture assessments, you know, periodically maybe, and, and, and be reasonable about that. A lot of people make the mistake of saying, oh, I'm going to do this assessment and then next year come back and do it. And they realize, oh, I saw nothing gained from that. Or you made a back step in some areas. That's a part of the human experience. Mm-hmm. There are going to be days when that happened. So I think, one, you have to have a, a constant effort to measure what's valuable. And if you want to measure your culture, you have to figure out strategies to do that. Uh, we do an equity and inclusion survey here. Uh, now we've done it uh, twice. Uh, and and, and, our, and, and one of the errors that we learned, we did it too soon. So we had one done, and then we did it the following year. We're now going to an every other year model to be able to do that, and that actually might be too soon because culture takes time. And who do you survey? Just uh, we survey capacity. employees. Thank so that's the, that's the first thing. So one of the things I want to say, you have to have multiple methods, and you have to triangulate your sources. So one, we survey employees who give us that feedback. And there's some hard truths you have to accept from what you see. When people tell you that they are concerned about this, this is not their lived experience. And yet you have over your, on your wall, when you walk in, we treat everyone this way. And people say, that is not how I experienced this college. You have to be willing to hear that. Um, and then I think the other thing that we do is then we gather information from our community partners who we will bring together who will say to us, okay, here's what we're hearing about the student experience here. Or here are the concerns that we have about how our students, when they come into your spaces, how they experience that. And we have to be intentional about constantly gathering that data. We also talk to our students. You know, our board holds a constituent conversation uh, with various groups over the course of the year. They have dinners and they bring the board in and they have thoughtful conversations conversations around a topic. So this year's topic was on retention. And they first had a conversation, a constituent conversation with the staff, and then they had a constituent conversation with faculty, then they had one with administrators, and they had one with students, and then they had one with the all-college council. So this idea of hearing about one topic on a consistent basis over the course of a year, but engaging in deep and rich conversations about it, but hearing about it from different perspectives is very important. Um, I think the other thing around equity and inclusion is you have to be intentional around efforts to change culture by education. So we have a robust professional development program at the institution. In addition to that, our board is actively engaged in its own professional development, whether that be through ACCT or other entities. They're very deliberate to kind of figure out where where is the, where is the leading edge on this issue? How do we start to understand what those best practices are? And I have board members all the time who come back and say, oh, I saw this someplace else. Help me understand if this is something we could do here. Why or why not? How would you go about doing that? Very seldom do they come in and say, you must do this. But what they suggest to me is, this sounded like it made it a a significant impact on that culture. Is this something that we should be thinking about? So I think the, the shorter answer to your question is multiple methods, having a consistent way of tracking that data, and then very thoughtfully and, 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 and uh, engaged in rich and meaningful professional development so that as an organization, you're all in a state of constant learning from the students to the employees to the board to the community that you serve and being actively engaged in driving that type of change you want to see. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of In the Know with ACCT. Please visit our website at acct.org to download our Equity Action Agenda, which was developed to guide community college boards and presidents in creating a more diverse, inclusive, and equitable institutional culture. We'll see you next week.